Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. I heard somewhere there, but I'm sure. Yeah. It's a great privilege for me to be here again today and to, to have an opportunity to, to speak to you. Um, when I was asked by Ian, um, well, that's always how it goes, isn't it? I mean, the preachers just disappear. Um, when, when asked me to, in, within our series on, on religions to talk about marriage, I thought, oh goodness, um, there are organizations that spend their life uh, doing that. There are courses that run for months and weeks um, to deal with, uh, with marriage. Um, I've got a, of a few minutes for us to go back to the design that God has given us. And that's where we're going to stick to today. Um, so. I, it's a privilege for me to take you on that journey, and hopefully there's something that you discover with me today, something new that God plants in your heart when we go back to His original design uh, for what, what marriage uh, was about. Um, we will therefore look at exactly what the purpose of marriage was in the way God designed it, that it was about procreation, that it was about complementing, that it was about glorifying God. Um, and that's ultimately what it comes down to. I think it's also very relevant to see that the Bible starts with this amazing wedding in Genesis and then also finishes with an amazing wedding in Revelation, which we will come to when, when we move along um, on the series that we're working on. And this line runs through the Bible. It, it also helps us to understand the gospel better when we understand what God designed in what marriage uh, should be all about. Now, I guess they're, they're, in a talk like this, there always need to be a few health warnings. As I said, this is not a marriage counseling session. I can't come to that here today. Um, but depending on where you find yourself, uh, some of what we talk about today may be challenging to hear, and some of that may be challenging to take in. Um, and I appreciate that. Whenever we talk about marriage, it's, it's logic that um, questions about divorce and uh, the potentially guilt around divorce, or even questions about singleness, will come to mind. Um, and I really feel blessed by the, the worship this morning and also the words that's come in terms of just putting us in that safe place where God is putting us today. And I hope that for all of us, that will be where we are when we explore the the original design that God had for marriage. I mean, from day one, and I don't want to give the enemy credit, too much credit, but what he has been doing from day one is to try to destroy relationships. That's the first thing he did. And he's got centuries of experience on that, and he continues to do that. And therefore, it's no doubt, we all know that, that where we are today, relationships and specifically marriages are under attack. So let's acknowledge that, that that is the space where we move in today when we also think about God's original design. And if we then think back to the talk that Adam did about the fall and where he um, so beautifully connected what happened there at the time of the fall, also with where we're heading and what we sang about this morning in worship, that the chains has been broken. We are living in the salvation through Jesus Christ. There is freedom for us. The truth sets us free. And that's where we're heading. So even when we deal with something that could be 
controversial sometimes, could be challenging to listen to, we find ourselves in that safe space where God is holding us and saying, from the moment fall happened, as Adam spoke to us about, he immediately implemented his salvation plan. And that's, that's where we are today. That one act of mankind has left us in the place where mankind finds itself today. But through what Jesus did, we also know where we go. So, so wherever you find yourself today, I, I want to encourage you to sit at the feet of our Father in that safe place where He will nurture you, whatever you hear from Him, um, in this day where you find yourself. Um, I think it's also, it was, it was very uh, touching for me when Terry Berger came to speak to us and said, we're not sinners. I mean, actually we sang a song this morning calling out the sinners, but we are not sinners anymore. We have been saved through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we don't sin from time to time, but we're not in the bondage of sin anymore. And that is also important for me as we explore this to understand again that that truth sets us free. Um, so when we, when we explore what, God, what God's will for us is, what is good and perfect and pleasing will is, um, and then when we find that we fall short, which I often do, we know that we're at His feet where there's no condemnation uh, because of the salvation that Jesus has brought to us. Um, I also need to link with what Ian spoke about last week. Um, last week Ian very powerfully described the responsibility <coughs> that man has, that men has, um, in the headship that God has established. I mean, it was important for us to uh, feed off from where, where Andrew spoke to us about the male and female, the fact that um, the biology determines whether we're male or female. But as Ian said, what we do determines whether we fulfill the calling that God has on us as man and woman. Where godly men, good godly men are absent, there is also trouble in society. The role of the man is to exercise sacrificial love, and that's very important even when you think about marriage. That is what appropriate headship is about, is that sacrificial love. And the most important role is to disciple and to stand strong in our faith. Um, and these are core elements of that, that has been building over the weeks as, as we've been speaking about uh, the regions. So, I mean, it's exciting for me that at a time when the world is in turmoil and where uh, there are so many mixed messages out there that we are being challenged with, that we can spend time in, in the Origins, uh, Origins series, to go back to the original design that God has given us. That is our equipment to be able to deal with conversations that we all face at work, at school, and wherever we are, um, with, with where society finds itself today. So, let's uh, dive a bit deeper into God's design um, and creation and look at what He specifically says about marriage. And I'm going to um, go through quite a few bit of scripture today. It's always safer to do that. Let scripture talk. Um, so uh, as, as we read that, uh, I hope that the Lord will really plant something new in your heart as well. So obviously we pick it up in Genesis 2. Uh, and I love the fact that creation is actually completed at this point. I mean, God has done all of that. We've read through all of that in Genesis 1. And it is as if God is coming and saying, but, but wait, there's one bit of creation that I need to tell you something more about. 
there's this focus point of me creating man and woman that I need you to spend with more time. Um, so I bring that story again. So in Genesis 2, I'm going to read um, verse 4 to 7 and then 15 to 25 as well. So this is the account of heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and then there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And on to verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden, to work it and take care of it. Said that often, work was created before the fall, so celebrating that. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then one of our core verses today, verse 18, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she has taken up, has been taken out of man. Verse 24 and 5, very important. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So, story we know well. God breathed life into his creation. He placed Adam in the garden to work it, take care of it, as we read. And he gave him a very clear instruction. And it's worth to note here that according to Genesis 2, he was not around. At this point, when God told Adam very clearly that he could eat from any tree, except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I just thought I'll just mention that in case you missed the fact that Adam got this instruction. And then there's verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now it's interesting for me that all through creation, especially in as we read through Genesis 1, time and time again we read, And God saw that it was good. And it was day, and it was night, and it was day, the, the next day. So, he creates man, and then he says, not good, not quite. But he says the job is not finished. It lacks something. So, sorry guys, that was what happened there when God created 
man at that moment. But then something quite astonishing happens for me as well, because God clearly says that he will make a suitable helper for Adam. And then he takes Adam and he parades all the other elements in front of him so that he can name them. And at the end of verse 20 we read, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. I'm a bit intrigued by this because God already said there's no suitable helper, I'm going to make him one. Uh, but still, he takes him to see all the animals and I don't know, I don't have a lot of um, teaching or research to base this on, but I wasn't just wondering whether God was taking Adam through this to make him realize that he's not complete. Okay. Think about it. I mean, he's looking there and he sees Mr. and Mrs. Elephant and Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe. He sees Simba and Nala. And somehow, something is missing. So then, when Adam wakes up and he sees Eve, he says, She's for me. She's mine. I have someone that completes me. I mean, a great moment when God brings that arranged marriage as he brings his original design of marriage into play. That is God's design. Adam needed help. Adam was lonely. But God didn't give him a fancy car. God, God didn't give him a bigger garden, more wealth. God didn't give him a male friend. He didn't even give him a football team or a bunch of buddies. He gave him Eve. And that is God's design. One man and one woman. To make the peace complete. And that's why we then read in verse 24 and 25, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. God creates this union. Man and woman become one unit. Together they complete God's intention for creation. That's God's creation. In his image. There's nothing that separates them. Nakedness and no shame also brings us a view of transparency and vulnerability. There's complete honesty there. Nothing is hidden. Two human beings living in complete unity and trust. God's creation of the union of man and woman. And that all happened before the fall. That is how God intended it to be. Also bear in mind that God gave them the instruction to be fruitful and to multiply. This would have been quite tricky if they were not created male and female. Just thought I'd mention that in case you missed it. A lot has also been said about and written about what we read in Eve being the helper of Adam. Um, and it's recorded that Matthew Henry wrote 300 years ago the following words, The woman was not made out of his head to rule over him, neither out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, near his heart to be loved. So if we go back to the original words in Hebrew, and then we look at uh, how that could be translated perhaps differently to helper, um, it, you almost get the sense of an indispensable companion. 
It is, it is something that, uh, that, that completes. The Hebrew word, for, which is Ezer, is often used for God as well. The one that does something that I can't do myself. When God steps in and helps his people throughout the Bible, that word is sometimes used of him as well. And when we, so there's nothing about subordination there. And then the original word translated um, as a suitable helper is a word called connectu, and also can be translated as matching or complementing or corresponding to. So there, it's got an element of equality all over it, but not functional equality. I think that's very important for us to realize and to think about, is that if we, if we make the two genders functional equal, then they can't be com complementary. <coughs> God's design is for male and female to complete, to bring the picture together. Um, it also, I will talk a bit later when I talk about um, God's ultimate design that is also showing us Christ and the church. And we often know that in the Bible that connection is made and we talked about Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. So, so there's certainly this element of, of not functionally equal but certainly equal in God's design. I'll talk about that a bit later on. So then we find the travesty of the fall. And that story we all know well as we read that through in, in Genesis 3. And if we accept, as I said earlier, that nakedness also speaks to the principle of transparency and full honesty, nothing to hide. We see that at the moment, Adam and Eve disobeys a very clear instruction from God Trust goes out the window, straight away. Immediately they feel the need to cover up. Immediately they feel the need to hide. So I'm not going to repeat what, what Adam spoke to us about before, but I think it's important for us to emphasize, as we focus on marriage today, that at no point in God's engagement with Adam and Eve, at this stage, does God change the union between man and woman as originally created. For both man and woman, because of the fall, their relationship with nature changes. But Adam and Eve leaves the Garden of Eden as a married couple. The creation of marriage stays beyond the fall. That is God's design. <clears throat> so, where does that leave us today? Um, and, and for this, I'm going to dip into two um, pieces of scripture from the New Testament. Um, and some of this could be, could be challenging for us. The first one I'm going to look at is from Mark 10. Uh, but before I go there, I really need to position uh, this piece of, of scripture. Um, Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees about whether it's right or wrong or lawful uh, to be divorced or not. Uh, even in the context of the time, when Jesus was teaching and there was an audience, surely he knew that there would have been people, because it was allowed in the Jewish community there, that there will be people that have been divorced, and that there will be people that have been remarried. There will be parents of people that have been divorced and remarried. There will be children of people that have been divorced and remarried. There will be people there that has felt the hurt of divorce. There could even be people there that have felt the release or an escape from an intolerable situation because of divorce. 
So I need to remind you that what Jesus is doing when he answers their questions here, that he's taking them back to the original design. And Jesus does that many other times in, in his teaching as well. When he, when he teaches us to not only love our neighbors, but also love our enemy. It is counterculture at the time he does that. He tells us to turn the other cheek. It's counterculture when he does that. When he demonstrates to us to be a servant leader, it's counterculture at the time. Jesus in his teaching, because of the salvation he brings and where he's taking us to perfection when he comes again, he's taking us back to the original perfect design. While we also know that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. So I want to say that again, when we listen to this, find yourself in that space, face, safe space where God allows you to be and where he wants to, to nurture you and care for you. So let's read from Mark 10. I'm reading verse 1 to 16. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus responds, what did Moses command you? Note that they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So hence Jesus says, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. And then Jesus carries on and he actually quotes from the scriptures that we read earlier. But, the begin but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That's in Genesis 1.27. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were to the house again, so now they're separate, they're away from the Pharisees, and now the disciples, and they want to ask this question again. They want a bit more clarity. And Jesus gives a much more direct answer when he then says, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them. And he blessed them. So in answering the question, Jesus again showed them that the law, as was given by Moses, is not perfect. And in Jesus coming to earth, he fulfills the law and takes us back to the original design, creates the opportunity, the road to, for us to, to join him one day in, in the perfection of what it, what it will be after the second coming. The standard is God's design for marriage, and that's what he's doing here. He's taking them beyond the law, back before that was said. God created male and female. We've said that a number of times today. This is the basis of marriage. It's God's action. It's God's design. 
that's at stake here. Whether to get married or not, or how that should be managed, it's not something that man came up with. It was something that God put in place. Marriage is God's. In verse 7 and 8, Jesus repeats what we read in Genesis and makes a very clear declaration that what God has designed is not for us to dismantle. Therefore, marriage is a work of God and gets meaning from God. As I've said before, I appreciate that, and I don't know everyone's story in the room, but I appreciate that some of this is uncomfortable for people to hear. Um, and some of it may, may even hurt or confuse you. Um, but you know what, sometimes that is just, uh, the, the truth sets us free. The truth is not always easy to listen to. Um, and I want to, to, to give you that again, that the love of Christ sets us free. Again, quoting Romans 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we've walked through that and listened to that, we understand that there is the original design. And God is taking us back to that. Jesus is taking us back to that. And that comes for many other parts of our engagement with him in our relationship. As he grows us in our own spiritual walk, as he opens areas in our life that, that needs to come closer to who he is, he does that continuously to remind us what his perfect and good will for us is. And that is part of our sanctification. That is part of our journey uh, that we are on uh, with Jesus. So don't feel condemned by this, but hear the truth of the original design. For marriage. We learn from this that marriage is older than the church, it's older than school, it's older than human government. Uh, it's God's first gift to the human race. So when a young man feels a desire to be with a young woman, that's just right. That's just how it is. It's therefore wrong for a young woman to desire to have a man as a companion. No, not at all. That's exactly how God created it. The desire of a man to spend his life with one woman and the desire of a woman to spend her life with one man is just God's desire. That desire is placed by God in the human heart. Now in Genesis, God gives Adam and Eve the instruction to be fruitful and increase in number. Um, so I find it quite fascinating. You may have thought, Andre, you should have stopped this reading a bit earlier because what's the children got to do with this? But you may be surprised, children often come out of marriage. Um, um, and I find it fascinating that immediately after the teaching on marriage, through the Gospel of Mark, we read about bringing children to Jesus. And, and I thought about that, and I thought, well, why? why would this be? Now, there are two images that we find constantly through the Bible. There's parenthood, God our Father and us, his children. There's also the other image about Jesus Christ and his church in, as a bridegroom and a bride. So those two messages run throughout the Bible whenever we learn more about God in relationship uh, with his people. Now, since I became a parent more than 21 years ago now, Fascinating, but anyway, I had many moments where I reflected on my relationship with God based on my experience with my children. Um, the absolute vulnerability of the small baby, a hundred percent dependent us, us to, on us as parents to provide everything they need, to, to protect them, to look after them. 
then you get the, the toddler that almost have a godlike appreciation for the mother and father. Everything we say is absolutely true. No moment of doubt, even from Father Christmas to the Tooth Fairy to beyond. I mean, that's just Father says so, Mother says so. I do have to admit, when primary school teachers come into play, Mother and Father knows nothing, but <laughs> at least for that so toddler years, that's where they are. No doubt in believing what their parents tell them. There's also my absolute heartache when they get hurt, or even worse, when they disobey and then have to suffer the consequences of disobedience. So when Jesus then says that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, immediately after the teaching on marriage, I'm just wondering whether he wants to emphasize the need for us to believe in his creation of marriage like a childhood, not doubting it for one moment. That's how God says it should be. And therefore, I believe it. That is God's design. Right, so, to rush through now to finish off, but let's go to another um, piece of scripture in the New Testament. And this is where Paul writes in Ephesians 5. And we all know where we then learn that women should submit and listen to everything we say. <laughs> You laugh. I'm glad you laugh about that. So, let me quickly read through Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 33. Wives understand, and support, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. By the way, I'm reading from the message here because I do feel that the message brings us a, a very uh, helpful angle on the translation and I'll talk about that. But wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to this church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So, just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they already won in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they became one flesh. Paul writes, this is a huge mystery and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. The NIV and some other translations, uh, as we know, talk about submission, verse 21 specifically. Um, and so I find it helpful that the message translation here uses 
a good synonym for that biblical concept of submission by talking about support. Um, when a wife submits to her husband, she voluntarily organizes herself to make him complete, to help him to be the image that God created him to be. So when we, when we then look at submission, I mean, that's probably a talk for another day, but I mean, there's, there's sort of four elements that come to it, and it's very important that we understand that the first element of submission begins with an attitude of entrusting everything to God, entrusting ourselves to God. The focus of life must be on Jesus Christ. The ability to submit comes from Jesus. That's what he demonstrated to us when he lived up on earth. So submission, done in accordance with the example that Jesus gave us, is, is the first one. Submission requires respectful behavior. There again, we can talk long about that, but time is out. Submission means developing a godly character. The fourth one is submission involves doing what is right. So it should not involve participating in conduct that is contrary to Scripture. I think that's very important that we think about that. Because so often it, 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 it is translated or understood to just mean that the wife submits uh, to the husband. But every Christian's primary responsibility is to do God's will. And that stands above everything. So the husband's headship here, which Ian also spoke about, involves loving caring for, protecting, leading his wife. These are all the things that Christ does for the church. And this is a very important connection for us to make to see that that is what God is expecting us to demonstrate. Leadership should involve a recognition that God has placed the husband in a position of responsibility. And assuming that responsibility, I, I mean, husbands, we can talk, we're never going to get that perfectly right, but that's where we are. Um, at, at this juncture, but it is still our responsibility, and therefore we are accountable to God for our wives and our kids. Ian spoke very strongly to us about that, the responsibility that we have to disciple. I often talk, uh, refer to my family as my A-team. That's where I need to spend my time first. That is where I have a responsibility to, to demonstrate um, my relationship with God. Um, so I loved what, what Ian was saying that there, that that is so important for us to understand that that is an image of what the marriage is about. Even though Eve ate the fruit first, God approached Adam first to ask him about what they did. You can read that in Genesis 3 verse 9. So the husband's leadership makes the wife's submission reasonable. If the, wife, if the husband leads in the way God intended him to lead, then for the wife to support him is very reasonable. Easy to do, I would almost argue. So leadership also involves managing the home, not dominating it. In work we always say a good manager is someone that creates space for everyone to come to their full potential. And I believe that is how the husband needs to take on his leadership role there as well. Good father also keeps his children under control, we read in 1 Timothy. Leading is one of the husband's primary responsibilities in marriage. And that's very clear from, from other places in scripture as well. Now the mystery that Paul talks about is the truth that was previously hidden, but he, he somehow feels that he's now starting to understand that. That the relationship that exists between a husband and a wife is the same as the one that exists between Christ and the church. 
And one of the purposes of marriage is to model exactly that. Is to model Jesus Christ's relationship with the church. He leads, he loves, he serves the church. We saw that in his walk. And therefore the church submits and subject to him. When, a hus when husbands and wives fulfill these responsibilities to one another, their marriage models the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And remember what I said right in front. I mean, the purpose of God's creation is to honor him. And the model of marriage is doing that as well. When, when that is done right, it honors God. It honors the original design that God had intended. So it is our responsibility, every Christian husband's responsibility, to love his wife as himself. It's every Christian wife's responsibility to respect her husband. But I don't think Paul instructed women to respect their husbands because submission is an expression of love the God, love the God the way God saw it. Respecting means voluntarily lifting up another person. It involves having consideration for his responsibilities and needs for prayer. Um, words of encouragement as you compliment him in, in what he needs to do. But it's important. If a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, the wife will respect and love her husband. It is just the model that I read and see from what God describes. So if we as husbands can get that right and love as Christ loved, then the image of marriage, the way God designed it, uh, comes, comes, becomes visible. So in summary, what did we see? Uh, we see that creation honors God. And we see that God places marriage as a centerpiece of his creation for the purpose to model Christ's love for the church and to bring glory to God honoring his ultimate design. And I know that all of us are in different places today um, and all of us are on different journeys. Um, our, our own marriage has not been smooth sailing. Um, I have not done things the right way all the time. Um, I think where we are at the moment, we are on a very good weekend because we have Jesus Christ as our center point of reference. I think that's very important for me, as I try to encourage you, depending on where we are, if you still have that desire to have that one man or that one woman to share your life with, if you are in a marriage where things are perhaps not as smooth as they should be, if you have felt the hurt of divorce or have feel the loneliness of being a single parent, for all of that, you can go to God because he can fill the void for us. Yeah. And that's my prayer for each one of us today, that as we contemplate the original design of marriage, that we get encouraged by it, to know that that is what God wants for us. He wants us to see that and experience the fullness of what was intended through the creation. And if you're in that space, I mean, singleness is a completely different subject for us to talk about perhaps on another. It's a, it's a big topic. Uh, because sometimes people are called. 
uh, by God to be on their own. Um, but yeah, no, in dangerous territory because that, as I say, is a completely different talk for them. Let's pray. Close up now. <coughs> Father God, I just want to thank you today for <laughs> showing us your perfect design. Showing us your perfect design in creation and that you remind us that you've intended um, for marriage to also be honouring your creation. Father, that you have intended for us to complete each other, that you have intended for male and female to desire to be with one another because that's your desire. And Father, then we know that in the world that we live in today, there are many hurdles. There are a lot of hurt, and we know that the enemy is attacking what you have designed, and he's been doing that for a long time. So I pray, Father, that for everyone in this room today, that you will meet them where they are, and that you will embrace them with your love and your care. Father, your love that comes through the salvation, salvation in Jesus Christ, that we know that there's no condemnation for those of us who believe. Father, that we will find that you will complete us, that you will complete each one of us for the voids that may be in our lives in this area. Thank you, Father, for your love and your care. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.